That means for us, for you, Christian, if you are empty where you're at in your life, if you feel like all energy to live uh, is depleted from you, God knows that. He's not afraid of that, and he wants to fill you with his goodness, his beauty, and truth. He wants to give you hope, even through these psalms. Hello, and welcome back to Midweek Musings. I'm Pastor Taylor, and I'm here with Pastor Daniel Ventura. And we're back again to look into God's Word together as we considered it this past Sunday. Yes, excited for this episode as we talk about a really important topic uh, in the Christian life. And Pastor Taylor, what was the passage of Scripture that we're meditating on this week? And what was the big takeaway? So we looked at Psalms 42 and 43. And we looked at them together because they really form one unit. Um, They are beautifully connected. And in these two psalms, we see that God understands our anxious hearts. And he isn't afraid to talk about it in the open, talk about our emotional pain. And in the psalm, we don't find an easy fix to our sufferings and our distress, but we do find hope. Hope in God and ultimately hope in Jesus. And this is so important for us because, you know, those who struggle with anxiety and depression don't always feel safe to share their experiences with others. Uh, They feel alone in that and and often they're afraid that they won't be understood or worse, that others might judge them as weak or even pathetic. What do you think, Pastor Daniel? Would you say that many Christians understand or sympathize with those who are suffering from anxiety? What's, What's your impression on that? Yeah, I think when it comes to issues of mental health and anxiety and depression, uh, these are topics that are still difficult to talk about in the church. Uh, We don't always know how to talk about them in a Christian way. We don't always know how the Bible interacts with these types of topics. And one of the beautiful things about the Psalms is that we see in many ways God normalize our feelings of anxiety, our feelings of depression, our feelings of stress and being overwhelmed by circumstances, our own sins. And we could be so thankful that God has given this songbook to his church that has many of these kinds of psalms in them that express our our sorrow, that express our anxiety. And we know that the Lord will look upon us with compassion and that he gives us the words even to pray to him, to sing to him, um, so that we can give expression to the things that we're feeling. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, this psalm and others like it are, in a sense, God's own invitation to us mm-hmm. to express emotional and psychological pain to him. And like you said, it normalizes it. it. It shows us that it's something common and even, in a sense, to be expected in the Christian life. And it reminds me of what I quoted from Charles Spurgeon, mm-hmm. the great prince of preachers, who said, Most of the Lord's family have sailed on the sea, which is here in Psalm 42 and 43, so graphically described. And so this is a common sea of suffering that Christians of old in centuries past and around the world have suffered. It's common, but even through that, we find that there is great hope presented to us in this psalm. Yeah, that's good, brother. Yeah, when we think about how common anxiety and depression are for God's people, um, it also applies to, you know, church leaders and those who are caring for the flock. You know, Spurgeon himself experienced, he says, depression in different ways. He suffered for about 20 years, mental and physical illness, neuralgia, gout, um, so much so that we're told that he could not walk or write at times. And he expresses, as he comments on many of the Psalms of his own 
depression that he would go through, and he joins the voice of the psalmist as they do lament at times. And so even people like Spurgeon, or later on in the Psalms, people like Asaph, one of the ministry leaders, express that kind of anxiety and depression that the psalmist is talking about. Mm. And uh, in the psalm, Pastor Taylor, what is some of the vivid imagery that is found in Psalm 42 and 43 that help us to better understand and sympathize with those who suffer from anxiety and depression? Yeah, there's a lot in these psalms. Right from the very beginning, we hear as the deer pants for waters. We hear about this deer panting, which is an image of distress. You know, a deer pants heavily after they've been on the run and they're overheated. They're running away from a predator and they're looking for water to cool off, to jump in, to be refreshed, to uh, get the smell off of them, right? So it's a picture of distress in nature. And the psalmist is saying, that's me. That's where I'm at right now. I'm in distress and I need to be refreshed by God himself, the living God. And it also shows us that in that imagery, uh, how the body is often affected by the turmoil of the soul. We are body and soul together. And so what happens to our soul and the pain that we feel in our soul often carries over into our body as well. And so we're we're in turmoil within ourselves, our hearts beating very much like a deer panting. Then we also have the waves and the breakers, the deep calls to deep, that language that comes out in the psalm. And kind of picture a person tossed in the waves at the beach and getting disoriented, not knowing up from down. And again, your heart racing, longing to get to the surface to breathe again. Uh, or we can think of a person maybe shipwrecked and lost at sea and being tossed about in the dark waves of the ocean, not knowing if they'll make it back to shore safely. And then there's another beautiful kind of imagery that comes through just in the verb itself, where he says, by day he commands his steadfast love. So he commands with authority, he sends with authority his steadfast love. And later in the psalm, we hear him cry out, asking God to send his truth and his light. And so those two kind of come together. And I didn't mention in the sermon, but the way I picture this in my own mind is kind of like a lighthouse. So think of that person shipwrecked out on the floating on a piece of driftwood, you know, he's lost at sea. And through the thick of the fog, he catches the eye of that lighthouse piercing through the darkness. And it gives him hope uh, that he will arrive to shore. All hope is not lost, that in fact, God will bring him home again, which is what he, he cries out. Yet again, I will praise the Lord. So all of this imagery, and there's even more in the psalm, shows us that God's not afraid to talk about our anxiety and depression and to use even poetry to express that. He welcomes us to do that. It's not a taboo subject uh, because God's power, as Paul says, is made perfect through our weakness. Mm -hmm. One author, Nancy Guthrie, she says it this way, when God looks into the empty places of our lives, he sees his greatest opportunity. God does his best work in our emptiness because after we are emptied by the struggles and the sufferings that we go through, he loves to fill us up with his goodness, beauty, and truth. God did that in the very beginning when all of creation was formless and void, tohu vivohu, and he took that which is chaotic and empty and he formed it all to fill it with goodness, beauty, and truth. And so 
That means for us, for you, Christian, if you are empty where you're at in your life, if you feel like all energy to live uh, is depleted from you, God knows that. He's not afraid of that, and he wants to fill you with his goodness, his beauty, and truth. He wants to give you hope even through these psalms. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll be immediately removed from difficult circumstances, but if we give our hearts, our empty hearts to God by faith, he will begin to fill us Mm. with hope in Christ. Amen, brother. That's a good word. And, you know, as you talk about this psalm and the various imagery and the experience of the psalmist. I mean, we do see ourselves very vividly in psalms like this. We maybe say this is my own experience when we hear of the trouble in the body and and how the psalmist is expressing that in his body. I think also of Psalm 77, where the psalmist Asaph was expressing lament to God as well. And and he says how his soul refuses to be comforted. And then he says in verse 4, you keep my eyes from closing. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. And then he speaks about trying to remember the song that he used to sing at nighttime when he was on his bed. And that's the Christian. It doesn't matter who you are or how long you've been walking with the Lord for. We all find ourselves having those sleepless nights where our souls are troubled and where our bodies are refusing to find comfort. And we find ourselves just crying out to God, asking for his mercy, asking for his grace, asking for his promises to be made known to our hearts again. As you said, God in in many ways is not afraid to talk about our anxiety and our depression. And with that said, Pastor Daniel, we want to encourage anyone who might be listening who is feeling very much like the psalmist here to reach out to us to ask for help. We want to help carry that burden with you by faith and in prayer or reach out to somebody that you can trust in and confide to. Um, There are people that love you and that want to come alongside you to help carry the burden that you have. Yeah, we've been talking about this psalm together and digesting it together. And now that we could share some of that with God's people, Pastor Taylor, how is God's truth as presented by this text renewing and shaping your own heart? Mm. In so many ways, uh, it brings so much comfort. I think ultimately the great comfort is seeing Jesus in this psalm. The voice of this anxious soul is ultimately the voice of Jesus, who is the suffering servant of the Lord, the one who suffered intense agony, anguish of soul and body on the cross. Jesus doesn't only understand our pain, he's experienced it firsthand. Uh, It has touched his own heart, and his suffering is far beyond our own ability to imagine because he suffered the full wrath of God in our place, the judgment that we deserve. And so that means that Jesus is our high priest who is able to sympathize with us. He he can have compassion for us. He knows our pain. And Jesus is the one true God in human flesh. Therefore, in the humanity of Jesus, God himself has suffered in our place for us. As Hebrews says, the author of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 to 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And on that passage, the Puritan Thomas Goodwin says here, if your misery be great, he has a great fellow 
feeling of it, for he is a great high priest. Your misery can never exceed his mercy. Uh, It's a great last line there. Your misery can never exceed his mercy. And so this brings great comfort to me in my own misery, in my own distress, knowing that Jesus has voiced this psalm himself in his own pain and agony, and he ever lives to make intercession for me and is able to sympathize with me in that. Yeah, that's a really good word, Pastor Taylor. And I love that quote from from Goodwin. I think it's expressed in, in part in this beautiful song that's written by Andrew Peterson. It's on the silence of God and how we often um, can experience that as Christians. And one of the lines says this, the man of all sorrow, speaking of Jesus, he never forgot what sorrow is carried by the hearts that he bought. So when the questions dissolve into the silence of God, the aching may remain, but the breaking does not. And it's a beautiful line that just reminds us of Jesus remembering, as you said, um, the sorrow that's often carried in our hearts and how his mercy does indeed abound over that. It's a comforting Mm. psalm in so many ways. What ways does it also challenge us? Mm. Yeah, it comforts us and it challenges us. It challenges me because here we find the psalmist in his great distress fighting for joy. Uh, So even though he can't change his circumstances, there's so much in life that we cannot control ourselves. We find him here fighting for joy and ultimately finding hope in God. And he does that with three main things that I highlighted in the sermon. First, his soul thirst for the living God. We find that as he's remembering the past, it's clear that his heart prioritized the public worship. And why? Well, that's where the living God has promised to meet us and revive our lifeless souls through the preached word, the sacraments, and the prayerful fellowship of the saints. So this is where we meet the living God when we come together for worship each week on the Lord's Day. And that means that we should prize the privilege to praise God with his people. And so when my soul thirsts and I'm in distress, what do I need most? I need to go to church because <laughs> that's where I find the living God. It's an important note to hit, especially as we come out of COVID. And many people, I think, all experienced during that time what it meant to be lonely and by themselves. And um, for even God's people at times, we were providentially hindered um, from corporate worship in maybe the same ways. And maybe, uh, listener, there might be some of you that are still not fully plugged into your home church or are still maybe listening in from the fringes. And I think a psalm like this reminds us how important it is to be with God's people. God never intended that we would be living on islands spiritually and wrestling with our own emotions and trials and burdens just by ourselves or with our family. But he has called us to a community of faith where we can bear those burdens together so that our hearts can be lifted up to God and so that we can find help and even God's grace in the community of faith. And so I think that's uh, an important note that you hit in your sermon, Pastor Taylor, of prizing um, and seeing the beauty of that public worship together. Mm. That's a good reminder, Pastor Daniel. Thank you for that encouragement and challenge. Now, the next thing we see the psalmist do to fight for joy is sing. His soul sings uh, a song to God as a prayer. And we find that in verse 8, where we hear him say, At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And what he's doing here is meditating on who God is by way of song. 
And it's not just any song, but he says his song, which is referring to the Lord or God. And it's likely he's referring to a favorite psalm of his that he had committed to memory. And it seems that as he's saying that psalm, meditating on its words and its truth, that the truth itself in the psalm was lifting up his soul. It reminded him of who God is, his rock, and what he does. He daily commands his steadfast love. And so this challenges me and should challenge us to treasure the word of God in our hearts more and more. And what if we all did this? What if we each picked a psalm, like a flower among God's garden, from out of the Psalter, and we made it into our favorite psalm by pondering it, praying over it, and praising God with it? I believe if we do that by faith, that God will richly bless us, even in our distress. That psalm will be a light for us in dark places when all other lights go out. Now, the third thing that the psalmist does here as well, and he does it throughout the psalm, is he talks to his soul. We find him taking his soul in his hand, as it were, to speak to it, saying, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And he does that three times in these two psalms. On this passage, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, Spiritual Depression, says this, Most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Now, what he means in that is that instead of just letting our minds run with random thoughts as life passes us by, that we need to learn how to better consider the gospel truths that we find in God's word and convince our hearts of them, in a sense. Put our heart in the pew and get up into the pulpit, in a sense, and preach the gospel to ourselves. And he does that three times here, which reminds us and shows us that this is no quick, easy fix that lifted him out of his distress. No, we find him fighting for joy in this way. And he says at the end, in verse 3 of Psalm 43, that he does reach a place where he is able to delight in God, saying this, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And so we do see that in, the, in these two psalms, that as he is fighting for joy and repeating this good habit of taking his soul in hand to speak to it God's truth, that he does find a measure of joy, not in his circumstances so much, but rather in God, who is his exceeding joy. And so we find those three ways that the psalmist is fighting for joy, and that is a strong challenge to me, but also a comfort in the challenge because we see how, as he's applying these principles and this, this wisdom, that God is lifting him out of that distress and giving him a measure of joy and hope. That's a good word. And yeah, as we speak about prizing the public worship of God and hearing preaching, we're reminded, as you say, that we also throughout the week need to be reminding our own hearts of the promises of God and and daily uh, taking those promises and reminding our soul what God has said and who God is for us. And that's a beautiful takeaway. And I wonder, Pastor Taylor, what are some other good takeaways uh, from this text that different kinds of people in our congregation can benefit from? Yeah, 
Well, as most illnesses or sicknesses, anxiety leading to depression is no respecter of persons. So that means that any of us, no matter the age or how much money we have, uh, can be in the same painful experience that we're reading about here in Psalms 42 and 43. And so these Psalms are for whosoever is weary, whosoever is in need of rest and recovery for their anxious souls. And that's so comforting because it reminds us that God's word, the Bible, is not just a list of rules to obey for us, but instead he has given us passages like this that are heartfelt expressions of the struggle that so many of us go through in the midst of our weaknesses. The creator of the universe is inviting us to open up and vent our hurting hearts to him. And he's given us in this psalm very raw and human words to voice that pain. He's not afraid to go there with us. And even better, he wants us to go there with him in faith. And that's good news for all of us. Another really important one for you who are parents and have children, please be aware that your own children might be suffering from anxiety and depression. Studies indicate that teen anxiety is at epidemic levels currently. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, back in 2017, nearly a third of teenagers will experience an anxiety disorder in their life. And that was five years ago, before COVID and all the madness that has ensued since. Uh, So this is a huge issue that things like social media are just exasperating all the more. And so what can we do? Pastor Daniel, what do you think are some helpful things that we can do? Yes, as we think about the, the heart of God towards us and the heart of Christ and his sympathetic nature, we want to do our best to try to model that to our children as well. We don't want to give our children just rules and guidance, but also sympathy and warm affection. And we want to let them know that we're, we're there for them, just as God sees them and normalizes in many ways their their anxiety and their, and their struggles. We want to do that for them, that they could have a safe place to be able to express those things to us as well, uh, keeping the door open. Yeah, that's great, Pastor Daniel. You know, keeping that door open from the very earliest age possible, you know, wherever your kid is at today, try and open that door and let them open up their heart and vent to you. And that should make us think about how in Christ, God has leaned into our weakness in order to heal us and strengthen us. He opened wide that door when he came down in the incarnation to take on human flesh and suffer with us and for us. And so don't be afraid of leaning into the weakness of your own child in order to bring them the healing and strength that is found in God through Christ. And if your child is struggling with anxiety or depression, I strongly recommend to you David Murray's book entitled Help. My teen is struggling with anxiety and depression. And I'll try and put a link into our show notes for that book recommendation so that you can grab that and look that up for yourself. Yeah, and for adult believers as well, or any Christian who is going through a dark time, uh, David Murray is a great resource. He has another book called Christians Get Depressed Too. And that's a really helpful short Mm. book that will be a guide for you. Um, and helping you to process what you're going through before the Lord. 
Well, as we think about this song, uh, which verses do you recommend we commit to memory from this passage? There are a lot of beautiful verses in this passage, but I've zeroed in on one in verse 11, which is that refrain that he repeats three times, that mini-sermon. And so if we memorize this, we can preach this to ourselves as well. Verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Well, thank you, Pastor Daniel, for having this discussion with me. And it is our hope and prayer that all of you listening will be encouraged and strengthened in your faith as we consider Christ from the scriptures together.